Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. We exist to help people grow in Christ, share the gospel, and serve the community. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Continue in the last installment of our sermon series, Therapy for My Soul. And I pray that it's been helpful to you in identifying some stuff and how we can go about handling handling emotions. Um, and so today I want to um, preach from Psalm 42. Psalm 42, if you have your Bible. Psalm 42. And because we are so serious about your growth in Christ, because we're so serious um, about your wholeness and your healing, not just for wholeness and healing's sake, just so, so more so so that you can be like Jesus, be who he called you to be. We're so serious about it. At the end of service, one of our sisters here is going to come up and tell you how you can uh, reach out to a therapist and talk about cost and what, what that looks like. And here, here's what I want to say. Never look at therapy or counseling as a cost. Look at it as an investment. It's an investment, all right? And so she's going to come up and talk and how we can get in contact with counselors and how you can you can do this and you can and start a journey, a journey of, of healing. And here's the thing that you want to know about journey of healing. Um, the journey will, won't be complete until Jesus comes back. Right? And so we can go to therapy. Therapy will start a journey of healing and it is helpful for us. Uh, if we stick with it. We commit to it. Um, it'll aid us in our, in our sanctification and being more like Jesus. But at, at, but at the end of the day, we won't live a sin-free, struggle-free life until Jesus comes back, all right? But we can start the journey today. Psalm 42, verses 1 through 11, it says this, As a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? My, my tears have been my food day and night. While all day long people say to me, where is, where is your God? I, I remember this as I pour out my heart, how I, I walk with many leading the festive procession to the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts. Why, why my soul, are you so dejected? Why, why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior, and my God. I am deeply depressed. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your billows have swept over me. The Lord will send his faithful love by day. His song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about in sorrow because of the enemy's oppression? My, my adversaries taught me as if crushing my bones while all day long they say to me, where, where, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why, why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior, and my God, let us pray. Lord, we just come to you today, God, because you are our source. Lord, you are our beginning and our end. And, and, and we are thankful for, that we get to come into your presence and worship together today, God. We, 
We thank you for, for your presence, for your spirit that is with us today, God. Um, we pray today ultimately that your son Jesus would be made known today, that your son Jesus would be the main attraction, that we would be drawn to him. And, and so, Father, I pray that, that for those who are burdened down, God, that they would receive good news today, God, good news of what you've already done for us through your son Jesus. And so today, God, I pray that it's your spirit, your word, not, not my delivery that sets your people free today. I pray, God, for the unbeliever, for the person who's here today that says, I, I'm in church, but I don't, I'm not a Christian. I don't, I don't really ascribe to this. I don't really believe it. I, I do my own form of spirituality. Today, I pray that your light would shine so strong that they would walk in the knowledge of the truth. And so today, God, I, I just pray that you would help us who are already in the faith, that you would help us to grow in our relationship with you. God, I pray today that we will be made more like Jesus. So help us to study today, God. Help us to preach and to receive today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And the people of God said, amen. You may be seated in the Lord's presence. From the sermon series, Therapy for My Soul, my sermon title this morning, thank you, Beyonce, is Break My Soul. Break, break, break my, my soul. On, today on Beyonce's birthday, I decided that I would steal her song title. Happy birthday, Beyonce, Giselle Knowles Carter. What, 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 y'all crazy, what does Abraham Lincoln, Winston Churchill, Charles Spurgeon, Martin Luther, Martin Luther King Jr., J.K. Rowling, Moses, the prophet Elijah, Job, Jonah, and Jesus all have in common. What, what do these great men of the world and of the faith have in, in common? If you don't know the answer to that question, the answer is this. They all at some point battled with episodes of serious depression, and at some point, for some of them, they longed to die. They, they all battled serious emotional internal turmoil that was brought about by a variety of circumstances, yet for many of them, they went on to do great things while struggling at the same time. If you are here today and you've ever battled with sadness or depression or extreme depression, grief, or felt alienated or separated from something that you long for, you are in good company. If you've ever been sad, if you've ever been depressed, you are in great company. One in eight women at some point have battled with severe depression. One in 16 men, I believe the number is much higher than that because men don't tell the truth. I, I, more, more men than that. One in 16 men ha have dealt with serious depression in their lives. And, and I say all of this to tell you this about those great people. If we steward our pain and disappointment well, God can use it to make us into something beautiful. All of the aforementioned people were beautiful in their own right, but, but part of their beauty was formed and brought about in the crucible of disappointment and despair. I want to read you this quote. Shout out 
to my man, 50 Grand, Pastor Benjamin Kant, who alerted me to this quote by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. You may know her name because she's the author of The Five Stages of Grief. What she says is this, the most beautiful people we have known are those who have known defeat, known suffering, known struggle, known loss, and have found their way out of the depths. These persons have an appreciation, a sensitivity, and an understanding of life that fills them with compassion, gentleness, and a deep loving concern. Beautiful people do not just happen. And so if you're asking what was the underlying thing that caused these great people of the world and of the faith to keep going in spite of their depression and turmoil, the answer is this, they had hope. They had hope. They all had hope that one day things would be better than they are today. They, they all had a hope that things could eventually get better if they just hung in there. And so hope is the anchor in our text today in which we find the psalmist is anguishing in his soul because he has been, number one, separated from the presence of God, and that separation is being exacerbated by the presence of his enemies. And so the author of this psalm uh, if you look in your book, it will, if you look in your Bible, it may say choir director, and then it may say a mascal. We don't know what a mascal is. It may say mascal, and it may say a, the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah were temple musicians who would lead the people of God in a festive procession to the house of God so that they can worship God. And so th these are who they ascribe the writing of Psalm 42 to, but most people believe, some theologians believe, that actually David is the author, that King David is the author, and he uh, he told the sons of Korah what he was feeling, and they transcribed David's thoughts for them. And so uh, historically, we don't kind of know what, what David's situation was, was, if David is the author. Some believe that David is on the run from King Saul, who was kind of like an, a, a mentor to David. And some people believe that, that David may be on the run from his crazy son Absalom, who we talked about last week. And so whatever the issue is, David is in exile or David is on the run and he longs to be connected with God, but he can't get to God because he can't get to the temple. And that, that feeling of separation and anxiety is exacerbated because he's got enemies. Or as the young folks say, he's got ops. <laughs> he's got real life ops. And so you see a man who is separated from God but he's being persecuted by his enemies. And he seems overwhelmed, forgotten, and abandoned by God. And he's in one of those seasons of his life where nothing seems to be going right for him. You ever been in one of those seasons where they say when it rains, it pours? That everything goes wrong at the same time? And you long for a reprieve? Things that you thought were fixed? Start breaking. You thought you had air in your tires. Air is just gone. <laughs> you thought your battery was strong. You get in to crank it up. Says nothing. The problem is you're not next to an auto dealer. You're not next to an auto shop. You, you ever go to the doctor just for a regular checkup and you come out with six diseases? Everything goes wrong. You get bad phone call after bad phone call. People and your money are both acting funny. It's just one of those seasons. And this is what David is feeling. But David has a relationship with God, 
But in this particular season, when it's raining on David, God is not listening. Have you ever felt like God wasn't listening to you? Have you ever felt like God wasn't returning your calls? Like, like, it's not that he was sending you straight to voicemail, but he was letting the phone ring, and then he, you know that he was hearing your voicemails, and he still wouldn't call you back. It, it was like you were texting God, and he left your text unread. If you got an Android, you don't know what we're talking about, it's fine. <laughs> Whatever. Or you text him and you see the read receipt and he still doesn't call you back. Like, like you're asking God, where are you? And what we get to witness today is the psalmist express his deepest emotion. And this is good for us to see that this, this psalmist is expressing, expressing emotion because we need to learn that, that suppressed and ignored emotions don't just go away. Do you hear what I just said? Suppressed and ignored emotions don't just go away. You don't just ignore them and they subside. No, they stay there and they come out somewhere. And so our emotions need to be to be, be in a place where they are expressed in healthy ways. And one author said that emotions are the language of the soul. They are the cry that gives your heart a voice. It's okay to be emotional. It's okay for young boys to cry. You don't have to tell them, suck it up, be tough. No, they need to cry because if you don't teach them to cry now, they'll be abusive to somebody later. And so we, we, we cannot deny our emotions. Emotions are good. Emotions are letting us know that something is not right in the world. We cannot deny our emotions. They are the language of the soul. And so we see the psalmist fleshing this out in prayer to God. He's doing it in a healthy way. He's asking God questions. And the main question he's asking or that we should be asking, will we believe that God is still sovereign when God seems silent? Will we believe that God is still sovereign when God seems silent. And what you'll notice is that sometimes you'll cry out to God. God says nothing. You notice that help never comes quick for the person that's in pain. Help never seems to come quick for the person that is in pain. But what we do in the meantime matters. When help does not come quick, hope becomes the order of the day. Hope becomes the order of the day. And hope is the order of the day in this psalm. Psalmist, in spite of his pain, in bewilderment, in brokenness, places his hope firmly in God. And I know it's hard for many of us, because of what we've gone through, to still have hope. Because some of you are saying, I, I can't hope. I can't hope. And here's why you say you can't hope. 
I can't hope because I know that hope opens me up and I'm susceptible to more pain and more disappointment. If I keep hoping, I'll keep getting hurt. But, but, but our hope should not be hoping a thing or hoping an outcome. Hope is in a person. Our hope is in a person. And, and the hope that we have is based in the one that died and rose again. And, and so our hope is based in the one that died, rose again, and promises to come back and return and make everything that is broken fixed and healed. Okay? And so, so our hope as Christians is not a wish. It's not a hope that I hope this thing works out. I hope this thing gets better. But our hope is a sure hope. Our hope is a certain hope. It is more certain than the fact that you're in this room today. Our hope is on the empty grave that if Jesus died, got up out of that grave, and was raised to life, I can have hope in him because he's the one that conquered death. Our hope is not in a thing. Our hope is in a person. And so these, the, the, you watch this psalmist here. He, he is lamenting. He's, he's, he's pouring out his sorrow and his grief. I love what theologian Walter Brueggemann said. I don't have this on the screen, but here's what he says. He says, the laments are refusals to settle for the way things are. They are acts of relentless hope that believes no situation falls outside of God's capacity for transformation. No situation falls outside of God's responsibility. And if he is to be healed... He knows that the only one that can heal his broken soul is God. Because God is the one that created the soul in the first place. So if healing is to happen, healing starts with God. And the psalmist longs for God. So much so he uses an illustration that the psalmist longs for God like a deer longs for flowing streams. Here's what it says through verses 1 through 4. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. What, what, God, God when can I come and appear before you? What, my, my, my tears have been my food day and night. While, while all day long, people around me are asking, I see you in pain, but where is your God? He says, I, re I remember this as I pour out my heart, how I walk with many, leading a festive procession to the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts. And what we see is the psalmist is longing for God like a deer longs for water in a drought. He's longing for God's presence. He's saying, God, enough is enough. Make your presence known to me again. He is so broken that he can't even eat. Have you ever been there where your heart has been broken so bad? You don't even have an appetite. He, he can't eat. He has an appetite for, for nothing. He says, my tears have been my food day and night. He has a diet of tears. However, he has an appetite, but the only thing he has an appetite for is God. He has an appetite for God. He does not have an appetite for anything else. He is hungry for God. He is in such pain and turmoil internally that he can't eat. And the only thing that he wants is God's presence. 
God, God is a living water that he needs. I'm reminded of Jesus in John 7, 37 through 38. He says, on the last day and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anybody is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scriptures have said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. He wants God because God is the only one who can quench his hunger and his thirst. Notice something. Here's what I want you to know. He's not deceived into thinking that anything else in his life can remedy his pain. He, he doesn't think any other situation other than God can fix the brokenness in his soul. Main point, God and nothing else is the hope and foundation to begin the journey of emotional and mental healing. I want to say this again. God and nothing else is the hope and foundation to begin the journey of emotional and mental healing. But while he heals, in the meantime, his enemies are asking him, where is your God? His ops are asking him, where's his God that you're talking about? You keep talking about Jesus. I see your pain, but I don't see him. If your God is so real, where is he? Isn't that what the world asks us when things go wrong? When suffering takes place, they say, where is your God? And if I'm being honest, since we're in a therapy session, don't we sometimes ask the same question? God, you there? God, are you there? How many times that we've confessed with our mouth that we have hope, but deep down, we're really like God. Where are you? It's almost like we start to ask ourselves when we get into depression and despair. God, what did I do so bad that would make you turn your back on me? You even as a believer, knowing that the Bible says that therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We oftentimes ask ourselves when, when God seems absent, God, what did I do to get myself in this predicament? Even when you've done, you've done nothing wrong, you think about stuff that you did 20 years ago. And you like, it finally caught up to me. It finally got me. I stole that pencil, and this is what's happening right here. I did that one thing that I knew I wasn't supposed to do. I thought I had got away with it for years, and here it is at my doorstep. And because of that, I can't get away from it. And we question God because we're not comfortable with silence. God, you won't come to my rescue. And so we have to ask the question, what is it that makes the psalmist in this text keep fighting and holding out hope? What, 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 what is it that he's holding on to? What is it that he's holding on to that keeps him hoping when God seems silent? I'll tell you what the answer is. His memory keeps him hoping. His memory keeps him hoping. Remember, verse 4 says, I remember, I remember this as I pour out my heart, how I walk with many, leading the festive procession to the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts. He's talking about something that has happened in the past that he keeps stored in his mind that keeps him going. Let me say this about memory in the Bible. Memory in the Bible is never simple as bringing a set of feelings or facts to the table. Memory in the Bible is never passive. Memory in the Bible without exception is a call to remember a, a call to remember or to take an action. It recalls God's faithfulness in the past and requires that we respond in the present. 
So when we say we remember the goodness of God, that memory should then allow us to be strengthened in our faith and keep holding on. If God did it in the past, God can do it in our present. And so memory is important for us. That The one thing that counteracts his pain is to remember the goodness of God in the past. Remember how God saved you? How often have you got yourself in a situation that you thought you couldn't get yourself out of and God came through? Just think. Think. Remember that bad financial situation you made? Okay, y'all not saying nothing. <laughs> Remember that bad relational situation that you made that cost you more than you were willing to pay? And you felt stuck, but here you are today. Remember what God brought you out of. More importantly, remember when you were dead in your sins and your trespasses and the light of the gospel came and shined in your heart and made you alive again in Christ Jesus? Remember that? If the same God that saved you from your sins is real, that same God can get you out of your situation today. That same God can heal you and bring deliverance from your depression today, but you got to remember. Some of us need a diary of all the things that God has done for us. I'm going to encourage you today to start writing down stuff. Every time God comes through for you, you need to write it down. Every time God does something supernatural, you need to put a note in your phone. Matter of fact, you need to set a reminder for a date a year later just in case you're going through something and it pops up on your phone and reminds you the goodness of God and that can fuel your faith in your presence. We, we need a, a memory. Memory has the power to pervert, preserve us in seasons of suffering. But there is something in particular that he remembers. He remembers how he and others used to go to the temple and experience the presence of God together in community. He remembers going to the temple and to the religious festivals to worship God with the rest of the saints. That They would go to these annual religious festivals and they would celebrate God together. That They used to go to church together. They used to go to the temple and worship God together. And he misses this. But there's a reason why. For nearly two decades, Gallup, Gallup is an analytics company that surveys Americans on global crisis. Gallup recently, or two years ago, asked Americans whether their mental or emotional well-being was excellent, good, fair, or poor. During that period, their ranking of mental health as good or excellent Ranged from 81% to 89%. This is in 2019. If they asked people, 81 to 89% of people said that their mental health was good or excellent. However, in 2020, your favorite year, <laughs> that number dropped to 76%. Here's the caveat. Here's the crazy thing that's going to blow your mind. The only demographic subgroup who didn't report a decline were those who went to church every week. That group actually showed an increase in their emotional and mental wellness compared to 2019. 
How is it that in 2019, when nothing was going on, their mental health was one way, but in 2020, when everything went bonkers, somehow people who went to church every week increased in their emotional wellness and emotional well-being? How is that possible? Because it says something about community. When the saints come together, something happens. We can't, we don't know what it is because it's spiritual, but God does something in us. When I come to church, I'm renewed. I look at your faith. I look at your worship. I look at how you enjoy God, your hug, your handshake, your encouraging word does something to my soul and it keeps me going. And so we don't go to church to get happy. We go to church because at church we find the source of happiness. Are y'all hearing me today? Shout out for the church. In a 2016 USA Today op-ed titled Religion May Be a Miracle Drug, Harvard professor Tyler Vanderweele and journalist John Sinev wrote, if one could conceive of a single elixir to improve the physical and mental health of millions of America, Americans at no personal cost, what value would our society place on it? Almost to say, there's no number you can put on something that could help people improve their physical and mental health. It's an, it would be invaluable. But here's what they found the multiple mental and physical health benefits that they explored correlated with attending church once a week or more. Here's what happened to people who went to church. This is not guaranteed across the board, but generally, here's what happened. People who went to church every week, I'm not telling you you got to come to church every week, so I hear you in the spirit, get off my back. <laughs> here's what it did do. It reduced mortality by 20%. Over a 15-year period, people who went to church more than likely had an extended lifespan. There's something to be said about community. The article further went on to say um, that those who participate in religious services at least once a week or more are more optimistic and have lower rates of depression are less and are less likely to commit suicide than those who don't. We cannot underestimate the power of community. And so this is not a guarantee that those who go to church won't suffer or deal with depression. We, we know that, that that's not true, that, that we will struggle, that we will suffer. But the stats are alarming and speaks to the power and strength of being together as opposed to being isolated. When we come to church, something spiritual and something real happens. You know what I think happens? we realize that we connect to something that is beyond ourselves. We get to connect with a larger story that goes on in the world. Your story is not just your story, but your story is interwoven or weaved into the story of God. You are a part of a larger story that is happening in the world. But when you get your eyes off yourself and get your eyes outward and upward, it changes your perspective on life. And, and so I want to read this to you. Over time, and this is by Richard Winter from the book, When Life Goes Dark, Finding Hope in the Midst of Depression. Here's what he said. Over time in therapy, it is important to help people make sense of their personal stories and connect them to a bigger life story that gives a deeper sense of hope and purpose. Your story is intertwined with someone else. Now it makes sense why the psalmist in Psalm 84 said, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wicked. There is something to be said 
about community. The congregation, when we come together, the congregation declares the amazing works of God when we can no longer see him or sense his presence. So what happens when we come to church is that we remind each other of what God has done, what he is doing, and what he is going to do. And so the church in itself becomes a place of memory. Right. And so you may be saying, well, can't we worship God right where he is? Do I really need to come come to church? And, and, and why would he why would the psalmist be talking about that? Isn't he like with God right now? Yes. And no, he is. God is there because God is sovereign. But back in those days, there was something about the temple. The presence of God was found at the temple. But thank God for Jesus, we, we who live on the other side of the cross, now because of Jesus and his gift of the Holy Spirit, we can meet with God anytime, any place, anywhere. If you're in your car, you can meet with God. If you are at your job, you can meet with God. If you are cooking in your kitchen, you can meet with God. If you are at your desk doing your homework and you get sleepy, just say, I'm going to have a meeting with God. You can have a meeting with God, when you are in the bank at the teller and you know it's negative, but you got to make a withdrawal, you can. I'm j- I'm, don't do that. Don't, don't, you're going to embarrass yourself. You're going to end up on somebody's TikTok. Don't do it. But, but, but if that is the case, why do I need to come to church? Because there are strength in numbers. There is strength in numbers where, where, where a few of us are gathered. There is power there. There is encouragement. There is, there is staying power in community. Although that's the case, he's still depressed. Like many of us, when we're broken and down, we have more questions than answers. That there is no voice of God coming down to him. And so he's no longer asking God questions. He starts to ask himself questions in verse 5. He remembers what God did in the past. And he asked himself, why my soul? Are you so dejected? Why, Why are you in such turmoil? Here's what he says to himself. He's talking to himself. He says to himself in verse 5, when you ain't got nobody else to talk to, God ain't listening, just talk to yourself. He says to himself, look at verse 5, put your hope in God. He's talking to himself. For I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. He is giving himself a pep talk when nobody nobody else will. And here's what Martin Lloyd-Jones said, a a great theologian. He said this in his book, Spiritual Depression. The main problem in the whole matter of spiritual depression, in a sense, is this. We allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourselves. We can be so overwhelmed by circumstances that the reality of what we possess by faith in Christ becomes obscured. Here's what he's saying. You allow your feelings to talk to you as opposed to talking to your feelings. And here's what he's saying. Tell yourself to put their, put yourself, put your hope in God. See, I'm confused. I can't even talk to myself here from the, from the pulpit. He's saying, say to yourself, self, put your hope in God. Self, God will save you. Self, praise God. Self, God is your Savior. He is still your God in spite of what you're going through. He says, put your hope in God. It's almost like he remembered that he had put his place, his hope in something else. He, he, he at some point maybe had misplaced hopes. Maybe he places hopes in a person. 
a group of people. Maybe, maybe, maybe he put his hope in a place that when he moved to Atlanta or Dallas, or maybe he put his hope in a thing when I move here into this neighborhood to get this particular house, or maybe when I have this career, or, or my finances are like this, or my family starts acting like this, or my relationship becomes like this, th- th- then maybe things will get better. But he, he realizes that those things will inevitably disappoint us. They, out- they oftentimes bring pain, dejection, turmoil, and even more depression when we put our hope in things that we should not be putting our hope in. Now, I'm not saying a family, relationships, a house, a car, a new job. I'm not saying those things are bad. I, I pray all of those good things for you. You just can't put your hope there. You can't put your hope there. But what he's saying is, I have resolved in myself in spite of my depression and my pain that I'll put my hope in God. And here's the thing, it's not all bad. The pain of disappointment and the emotions that bring about sadness and depression can, if we let it, serve as a reminder for us to turn towards God. It reminds us to turn towards God the one and only sure thing in this life. Oftentimes, internal conflict is growth trying to happen in your life. Let me say that again. Oftentimes, internal conflict is actually growth trying to take place in your life. Remember Romans 5, 3, you've heard me quoted a million times. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And so there's a, a line of things that are, fruit is being produced in your life as you suffer. But you have to first come to, come to your mind and know that, hey, I'm in this pain, but I still have a responsibility to steward it well because God is trying to bring about growth and fruit in my life. And and so it's not all bad. It's not all bad. Actually, he is praising God in the crucible of disappointment and heartache. That's maturity. Here's how I know he's mature. He feels stuck and he still calls God his Savior. He doesn't turn his back on God, although things have taken a turn for the worse. Things are not going according to plan but he's not going to take his spiritual ball and go home. He's not going to pack up and leave just because things are not going the way that he thought they should. He's not going to stop serving God because he's in a season of life that he'd rather not be in. He's resolved to worship God right where he is. But his hope allows him to envision a future when he'll be restored to God. His hope is actually leading him away from his despair. His hope is leading him away from his despair. So here's what I want to say to you guys. Our suffering is a reminder that something is not right. When we see his expressing his emotion, his, 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 his groaning, his, his, his sorrow, his lamenting, it's not being wasted. He's groaning. I want to read Romans 8, 18 through 25 to you. Here's what it says. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Keep that in your back pocket. 
for the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Guess what? In the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay and to the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope, in this hope, we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. Because who hopes for what he sees? I don't have to hope that Pastor Trey is going to lead worship today. I saw him do it. Next Sunday, I hope that he does. <laughs> but I don't have to hope today because I saw it. But I have a hope that he will because it had not, has not happened yet. And I'm certain that he will. But I'm more certain that Jesus is going to come back. Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So there's this aching, that is this groaning. Our depression, our emotional turmoil is a sign that something is not right. But it's not all bad. I want to read you this quote by this famous Christian counselor and psychotherapist by the name of Larry Crabb. Here's what Larry Crabb said. Beneath the surface of everyone's life, especially the more mature, is an ache that will not go away. It can't be ignored, disguised, mislabeled, or submerged by a torrent of activity, but it will not disappear. And for good reason. We were designed to enjoy a better world than this. And until that better world comes along, we will groan for what we do not have. An aching soul is evidence not of neurosis or spiritual immaturity, but of realism. A realism that things are not the way that they should be, but eventually they are, be, they are going to be the way that they should. And so here's what that means. Romans 8 is that at one point, at some point, God is going to come back and he's going to redeem our bodies. But the good news is when I was studying this passage, when God comes to redeem our bodies, God is not going to work from the outside in. He's going to work from the inside out. So our minds, our hearts, our emotions will be healed. Then our bodies will be healed. There will be no more mental illness. There will be no more depression. There will be no more bipolarism. There will be no more sadness. There will be no more manic depression. There will be no more of these mental or emotional diseases because we will be healed from the inside out. That's good news for us. And so that is our hope in the meantime while we're suffering that things are not the way they should be, but eventually they will be the way that they should be. That's, we have to hold on to that. But in the meantime, if we look at verses 6 through 7, he's still depressed. Come on, man. I got all this good news, but I'm still in pain. In verses 6 through 7, it says, I'm deeply depressed. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your billows have swept over me. He's still depressed. And so he's talking about the land or the promised land. He's envisioning the mountains and the water running down the mountains. He's just remembering this before he remembered the goodness of God. But you know our, men, our memories are faulty. We're sinful people, and so we don't always remember the right thing. What he remembers now is he thinks about the waters, and he thinks about the, the, the ocean waves just coming and coming and coming, and, and he doesn't imagine a good thing. He says, you know what, that's just what my grief is like. It's coming to me in waves. 
the sadness just keeps coming over me. And people keep asking me why I'm sad. But I wish I could tell them that I'm not doing it on purpose. Nobody who's depressed chooses depression. And so for us, that should build in some, to know that fact, some of us should build in some patience for people who are struggling emotionally. Now, I'm, now let me say this. Let me, I know my church. Let me caveat this. If you're mad because you didn't get your way and call yourself depressed, that's not depression. If you got laid off from your job because you kept showing up late and now you're like, oh, I'm depressed, that's your fault. You should have showed up to work on time. That, that depression was, was avoidable. Right? I'm, 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 I'm depressed because they won't give me a raise. Well, you're the laziest person there. Why y'all looking at me like this? I'm talking about the depression where sometimes things is happening outside of your scope. Like, like the, he, he doesn't know why he's here. He didn't do anything to Saul. If this is David, he did nothing to Saul. He did nothing to Absalom. He did nothing to either one of those. But somehow depression is landed at his doorstep. And he can't get himself out of the situation. And the waves keep coming. What, what does that mean if it just keeps slapping me and it keeps coming and I can't stop it? Here's what Dane Ortland says. He says, this is why it keeps happening because God will not allow us to remain the people we would be as long as the waves reach to our waist. If it stayed here, we would never turn into the beautiful people. It's not until we've been drowned and dead that God now comes in and he on his own accord brings the dead to life that's what your salvation is let me say this for those of you who don't know what it means to be a Christian it's not about good works it's not about what we can do it's not about good behavior it's not about coming to church it's not about paying your tithes it's not about serving in church it's not about any of those things we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone It is what God has done for us not what we can do for God so if your hang-up has been I don't want to go to church and be a Christian because I know I can't keep all those rules and those commandments I got good news for you none of us are Christians because we can keep those commandments we are Christians because the the grace of God has entered into our lives through his son Jesus and he through the cross has saved us from our sins and because he's been raised to life we have been forgiven and now we have eternal life with God that, that's the good news of the gospel your work doesn't save you the work of Christ does are y'all with me this morning and so he says I will hope in God because he sends his love day by day. As I close, we look at verses 9 through 10. In verse 8, he had hope. And now 9 and 10, he's lamenting again. And if you look at the pattern of the text, he's lamenting and then he's hoping. He's lamenting and then he's hoping. He's lamenting and then he's hoping. It almost seems like he's emotionally unstable. But don't laugh at him. That's what our life is like. We happy one week and sad the next. And we're <laughs> but that's normal. I'm okay if you lament and hope, lament and hope. What's not okay is lament. 
we as Christians should have some lament, some hope. Lament, some hope. Lament, some hope. That's perfectly healthy, right? But when we are lamenting, we must remember to lament in healthy ways. Here's the final thing I want to say. He has an enemy. He has an enemy. One thing is he's hurt by the absence of God. He longs to be in God's presence. But his pain is being exacerbated by the enemies who keep taunting him. Where's your God? And so it's one thing to struggle on my own. But it's another thing when I got an antagonist that is exacerbating my struggle. I'm already in pain, but the people around me are not helping me. And so there's a real life enemy that we have. The Bible says that he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Remember this. I'm not a, I'm not a spooky pastor. So I'm not saying every, everything is not the devil. We are sinful. Sometimes we bring stuff on ourselves. But we have to be aware that there's a real live nemesis that we have. Right? He's, here's the good news. He's already been defeated on the cross. He's already being defeat, been defeated on the cross. And you're asking, well, why is he still around then if he's been defeated? When Mike Tyson knocked somebody else, not knocked somebody out, they didn't get up again. Why is he still up? Because Satan is, this going to be, I'm not deep, I've been not being deep. I'm just telling, I'm telling you the truth. God is using Satan as a tool to make you more like him. And so he's using Satan to tempt you so that you can be drawn more to God. And so Satan is not even his own Satan. Satan is God's Satan. God is actually using him for his glory and his purposes. And every time you choose God over Satan, you're reminding Satan that he's already been defeated and that he has another defeat, a final defeat that is coming in the future. But just know you have an enemy and God is using him as a tool to bring you closer to God. Are y'all with me today? And so if you have that enemy, don't forget, or should I say, don't, don't kill yourself. The, 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 the title of this sermon is Break, Break My Soul. And the number one person that I want to tell you to not allow you to break, to not allow to break your soul is you. 1 Peter 2, 11 says this, 1 Peter 2 and 11, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against your soul. So there are things that we can do that brings about our own sadness and our own despair and our own depression. We can make choices and decisions that don't aid in our healing, but actually pour salt in the wound of our healing. And so what he's saying is, don't be your own worst enemy. You don't have to create an enemy because you already got one. And so we have to be careful that we don't wage war against our own soul. And so we need to sing to ourselves, you won't break my soul. We need to sing that to ourselves, sometimes, not just to your job, not just to your spouse, not just to your employer, not just to your friends, not just to the people that don't like you, but you need to say this to yourself. 
finally, I want to say this. That whatever your enemy is, eventually God will bring all of our opposition to an end. When your life, and I'm done, seems to just be clouded in depression. Remember that God sent his son to live in our greatest nightmare and our greatest depression. That, that if the psalmist was broken because he was separated from God, that pales in comparison to when the son was separated from his father on the cross. You see, oftentimes people think that hell, the heat of hell, is what makes hell torturous. That's not what makes hell torturous. What makes hell torturous is to be separated from God. That's the pain of hell. It ain't the heat that you want to avoid. It's being separated from God that is the problem. But the good news is, is that our sin separated from God, but God sent his son to make sure he remedied that separation. And because of Christ, God took us who were separated from from God and brought us close and in proximity and connected us to God. And so now we as believers have fellowship with God uninterrupted. And so here's what you need to know, that if you feel like you are depressed, if you feel like you are separated from God, the reality is, is that you are not. The reason that you're not, if you are in Christ, is because Jesus came and he took on the separation so that you don't have to. You are not by yourself. And if you have hope, your hope is in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We can have hope in our despair, depression, weakness, struggle, our fears, not because we overcome these things in our own strength, but because Jesus has overcome this world and he is returning for us with the fullness of his redemption. In our deepest depression, we can always remember that even Jesus cried out on the cross for our sake, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God forsook Jesus so that you and I don't ever have to be forsaken by God. And because Jesus walked the same path of suffering, we know that he feels our pain more than anybody else. And that's why the scripture says in Hebrews, we serve not a high priest who wasn't touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but in all points was tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so the good news for you that are here today, if you are in Christ, know that you are not alone. Know that you can have hope, but your hope is in the empty tomb. Your hope is in the resurrection. And if you are here today and you've put your hope in maybe being happy, you've put your hope in your family going well, you've put your hope in your spouse, you've put your hope in your job, or, or worse yet, you've put your hope in yourself, the good news is, is that in, in spite of the frailty of that ideology, there's a God who says, you can put your hope in me. And this is an invitation today, if you are not in Christ, to be in the one who can make you whole the one who desires to be in a relationship with you. He died for your sake. As Brother Chris said during communion, all sin have fallen short of the glory of God. And the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. Play with it if you want is what it means. It's a John Dane's version. For the wages of sin is death. Here's what he's trying to say. Play with it if you want. But the gift of God 
is eternal life. You don't have to work. You don't have to wonder anymore. Oh, I'm an atheist. Oh, I don't know what I believe. I practice spirituality. I have my own hodgepodge. I'm a little bit of Eastern meditation. I'm a little bit of new age. I'm a little bit of agnosticism. I'm an atheist. I'm, I'm everything. I burn incense. I believe in witchcraft. I, do every, I make up my stuff as I go. Whatever feels good to me. Your feelings are not ultimate reality. You don't need feelings. You need faith in God. And he stands at your door today and he knocks. And he's ready to receive you. All eyes closed, heads bowed. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If it was a blessing to you, please consider visiting our website, outpouringorlando.com, to connect with us and to also give financial support. If you are ever in the Orlando area, we would love to serve and worship with you. Have a wonderful week.